Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily source for news and culture in Chicago and beyond. Chicago was in full recovery mode today after torrential rainfall on Sunday. There's rain, and then there's this. No, it's not a geyser. It's Chicago. Some neighborhoods on the north and northwest side and in the suburbs got nearly five inches of rain in a matter of hours. Causing flash flooding as high winds toppled the tree on a home in Albany Park. I looked out the window and I saw the tree coming, so I jumped and I started running in the opposite direction. The storm flooded basements and pushed the city's sewer system to the brink. You get eight inches of water in here and this is a lovely thing to work with, especially on a Sunday for the Bears' opening game. Here to help us make sense of the storm and why it caused such catastrophic flooding is Scott Collis, atmospheric scientist at the Argonne National Laboratory. Scott, Chicago is no stranger to flash flooding, but this storm was particularly bad. What was it about this storm that made the flooding so severe? Well, there are a variety of things. First of all, it was just the pure rate at which the rainfall fell. You mentioned before we got around, you know, in the heaviest hit areas, around five inches of rainfall, but it fell in less than a two-hour period, so well and truly over that two-inch-per-hour rain rate. The other thing that made it particularly impactful is it's actually been really dry lately. And you might think, yeah. I I agree with you. We've practically (laughs) gotten no rain prior to this storm. And you might think, oh, well, that means that the ground's going to soak up the water. There's going to be plenty of place for that rainfall to go. But counterintuitively, really dry, baked ground, actually, the way that kind of the pores in the earth kind of seal up, it actually sheds the rainfall a lot easier. So that rain, you know, the thing about water is water moves. And this rain, when it fell, it didn't stay still. It overwhelmed our combined sewer and uh, stormwater system, and it flooded all the uh, viaducts and led to these basement backups, as we saw. Oh, my goodness. You know, a lot of photos, of course, circulated on social media. We saw lots of flooded basements. We saw entire blocks just submerged in water. Help us understand, Scott, what exactly is it about this city that allows this type of flooding to even happen? So... If you look at the maps of where the rain fell, it was really highly localized. It was really in this line from Oswego through to Evanston. And when you get rain that uh, falls in such a localized manner and so quickly, it acts as kind of this pulse through our uh, storm water system. So instead of removing the water, the storm water system tends to redistribute the water. This is a massive environmental justice issue. And while the rainfall really fell through more affluent suburbs, it's even further exacerbated when it falls to areas, especially in the southwest side of Chicago, which fortunately avoided the worst of the rainfall this time. Yeah. What does the lake have to do with all of this? Um, this precipitation event really came out of the um, west of the city. So meteorologically speaking, the lake has very little to do with it. But from a hydrological point of view, our system is actually designed to send combined sewer and uh, rainfall away from the lake. We don't want that rainfall and that um, 
sewage uh, ending up in our lake. So the whole system is actually designed to move it away. Uh, friends of mine who work in the hydrological sciences always have this cool saying that, you know, if water falls over the lake, it ends up in the Atlantic. If water falls over the city, it actually ends up in uh, the Gulf of Mexico via the Mississippi. On the line with us now is Ravenswood Rev- resident Katie Pratt. She shared some images of extensive flooding near her apartment on Twitter yesterday. So you shared this this one photo that was pretty startling to me. It showed really, really showed the water levels at that intersection near you. Can you tell us more about what you were seeing and, and what it was like in your neighborhood? I'm in a garden apartment, and so I wasn't really impacted too much, but I was worried because looking out my front apartment window, I mean, I could just, I couldn't see the sidewalks, couldn't see the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had some, some enjoyable watching all the cars and people navigate it. And so I was, you know, curious. And so I kind of bundled up and walked further down Foster Avenue. And that's where I came to the viaduct there. And I was amazed at how much water had, you know, come up to that area. And so I snapped those photos because I, I just couldn't believe that those two cars were stuck in there and another more in there. Um, earlier that morning as well. Wow. Yeah. I, when I saw your photo, I was like, oh, my goodness. I I started yeah. to picture my own vehicle, you know, where the water levels would have you know, risen to if, if my mm-hmm. car was at that particular intersection. Were you just amazed looking at I, that? Yeah, I was. When, you know, I was seeing all the buses and cars, like the traffic just back up. And I was like, what is going on? And so I'm just so I was I couldn't believe it. And I knew that there were some cars like coming down foster trying to get through and mm-hmm. and just blowing their horns and and I was kind of like you can't go anywhere so just kind of hang tight but they right. don't know that but um, I'm glad no one else tried to attempt to go through there by the time I got there but yeah it's kind of amazing that people thought they could go through there and then got stuck but no one was there by the time I got there which is good I didn't want to have someone struggling to get out of that water but um, okay but, good yeah. had, had you seen flooding like that near your apartment before um, we kind of have that often, not that extensive, but most of the corners, when it rains really heavy, there are many um, corner, you know, sidewalks that get kind of flooded over because those drains are not always cleared out. And so there's sometimes just regular rain will get backed up. And so we have to kind of navigate carefully around that. So I wasn't really too shocked, but you know, like I said, my other picture that I didn't post yes. was being able to see, just not see the sidewalk at all, like all the grass covered. And so... Wow. Um, that was a shocker. Well, I'm glad you're okay, Katie. And yeah, we just ha- we had to call you because we saw those pictures and we our jaws dropped. Yeah. <laughs> Katie Pratt is a resident in Ravenswood who shared images of the extreme flooding that the city saw yesterday. Thank you, Katie. Of course. Scott Collis, who's atmospheric scientist at the Argonne National Laboratory, is still with us. No surprises there, huh, Scott? Hearing Katie's Not story. At all. And and it really, when I see pictures like that, it reminds me of um, a saying from the National Weather Service. If you see water like that, turn around. Don't drown. The water flows like that. They can lift cars up. You lose traction. You know, not only are you going to lose your vehicle, but in worse situations, you could um, be injured as well. Yeah. I mean, when she said folks were honking their horns, I was thinking, Really? <laughs> yeah. w- where is everyone going? <laughs> and the problem is you don't know how deep those floodwaters are. Exactly. Exactly. That's the danger. All right, let's jump back to the phones. Here is Sue in Bowmanville. Hi, Sue. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Hi, thanks. How's it looking out there? Well, we're we're cleaned up, but it took about uh, six hours of heavy work to get the water out of the... We're at 5306 Chicago Family Picnic, and we had to cancel all classes yesterday and had about I don't know. A lot of water came up from three sewer drains um, in our bathroom and utility room. 
Oh my goodness! And and flooded half of the half of our building. Luckily, not not the childcare side, but the side where we have meetings and stuff. So. Oh goodness! So everyone had to sort yeah. of spring into action. And, yes. Yeah. Yes. So so we're cleaned up. The the cars parked on the street. It looks like the the water was above curb level. Um, Damon was essentially closed for a while yesterday. Oh, boy. Well, I'm glad you're cleaned up now, Sue. Thank you for calling. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And let's jump to Becky, who's been waiting, calling from Portage Park. Hey, Becky. Hi. How's it going? It's going. So, <laughs> what, um, so you, you're cleaned up, or are you still sort of in the, in the thick of it? Uh, mostly cleaned up, but our basement flooded. It was above our ankles, um, and we have an in-law suite down there so um my friend has pretty much everything ruined <laughs> oh no yeah so did you have insurance that could cover all of that or no we um are um we just bleached everything got the got we had to get a sump pump mm-hmm. um and had to yeah mop bleach bleach the walls our uh water heater went out uh, so that restarted. Oh, so it's just been, it's been a mess. And his oh. cats were on the counter, like help me. <laughs> oh no! But they're they're okay though. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. They are very much okay. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, I'm so sorry to hear all of that. I, I'm, I'm glad everyone, the humans and the pets are okay. But I know this this is, is going to be a little bit of a pain for the the coming days at least. Thanks for sharing, Becky. Scott, you know, in addition to these flooded basements, you know, as a couple of people have mentioned, we, we've been seeing these pipes that exploded, you know, spouting water into the air like a geyser. Why did that happen? So there's the, a whole variety of incredible images on Twitter and on the Internet. And there's a variety of things you're seeing there. The really big ones we're seeing are probably due to a burst water main rather than actual stormwater. That could be just a happenstance, but also could be that when you get massive amounts of precipitation like this, all of a sudden it can deform the landform as well, and that can cause rupturing pipes. The kind of the... Um, bouncing manhole covers you see. That's that surging water we're talking about before with these massive rainfall amounts coming through. It actually kind of creates a shock wave through our uh, stormwater system and it kind of goes as a wave through the system. And so sometimes you might be near what you think is a really nice culvert and you think you're going to be really safe from flooding and that water starts coming out of that culvert rather than going in. Yeah. Is is climate change playing any role here in the severity of, of the rainfall? So, you know, what I'm always saying, um, Sasha, is we can't attribute any one event to climate change. But boy, this this walks like climate change, this quacks like climate change here. It's it's really this going from flash drought from no rainfall to massive amounts of rainfall. And the simulations that we run at the Department of Energy and Argonne National Lab, they show that, you know, as the planet warms, warmer air holds more water. So when you get dry air coming down, you know, over land, it has the ability to soak up moisture, dry things out. But when we get the warm, um, moist air, which we had right now coming from the Gulf of Mexico, from the mm-hmm. Atlantic, it just transports that moisture really effectively over the Chicago region. And that classic fall cold change that we saw um, yesterday, it just wrung all that water out over the Chicago region. 
Yeah. You know, last week on Reset, we learned about the Community Research on Climate and Urban Science Initiative, also known as CROCUS, which I know that you are also involved with, Scott. Uh, that project is, is studying how to mitigate climate, specifically in cities. Is this sort of rain and flooding, is that something that the initiative is trying to study and address as well? Absolutely. And I'm really excited to talk about Crocus because this kind of event we saw is exactly the kind of thing we want to study because it's happening at much finer scales than we model in climate models. It's happening on the block by block basis. And water is one of the key targets. We really want to understand how these extreme storms form and what the role of things like green infrastructure is in mitigating it. If, say, throughout the Evanston neighborhoods or the neighborhoods that were really badly affected, if we had more parks, if we had better systems for handling water, could we mitigate the worst of climate change? One thing we're doing is we're bringing the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana's really advanced research radars to Chicago, and we're going to take this crazy high-resolution picture of storms in the Chicago region and couple it to high-resolution models, simulations of the Chicago stormwater system. Yeah. Well, is there anything that Chicago can do to become more resilient to this amount of rainfall in the future? And, and for the folks listening, anything that they can do to avoid or at least reduce the damage from the flooding? So one of the number one things for the residents of Chicago is because we have a combined sewer stormwater system, things like rain barrels, things that can just act as a capacity for stormwater when we get these extreme events, really, really help. For folks in the suburbs, for instance, if you can get that stormwater away from your house so it doesn't back up and re-enter your basement, that's really important. For the city of Chicago, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District and beyond, it's about understanding these extreme events and trying to build systems that can both store and handle these sudden surges. We've got the TARP program, which has these massive underground reservoir, but we've got to get the water to those reservoirs first. So it's about understanding our vulnerabilities, mapping those vulnerabilities, building the green infrastructure in and other infrastructure in to really sop up those extreme rainfalls. Well, we're going to keep talking about this flooding, but for now, we'll let you go, Scott. That's Scott Collis, atmospheric scientist at the Argonne National Laboratory. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Sasha. I hope everyone stays safe and dry. And now joining us on the line is Camila Pakosh from Portage Park, who was affected by last Sunday's flooding. Hi, Camila. Hi, Sasha. How's it going? It's going. It's going. Give us a sense, Camila. I know you had a tough time. Uh, Give us a sense of the timeline yesterday. When did the flooding start for you? Yeah, absolutely. So we woke up in the morning uh, and we checked the basement to make sure that everything was fine because we had problems in the past. We had some some leakage and we did some work to mitigate. Um, so we were on, you know, on, um, on a lookout for that. Uh, so we started to prepare breakfast with the kids and in about 10 minutes, the whole basement was flooded. Wow. Like six inches of water. Uh, and that was about 8.30, 9am. That fast. Really what were you yes. thinking in that time? That's quick. Yes, yes. I was just busy with the kids and I was planning to go downstairs to play with them in the playroom, but it was all underwater. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Has your basement and backyard ever flooded before? Um, n- not not the not the the backyard we had some problems with the with the gutters uh and a little bit of leakage as i said but yeah. nothing like that mm-hmm. nothing like that my goodness so did you try to 
save anything while this was happening? Uh, I was able to uh, save some of the toys, but um, carpet, uh, furniture, uh, we lost our water heater, furnace, uh, the washer in the laundry room. Uh, it's all gone and we probably need to replace the carpets too. So the carpet's pretty much ruined. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Goodness. So, so what's next then for, for you and your family? Well, luckily we have an emergency savings account that we can use to pay for these expenses, oh, good. even though you hope that you never have to use that money. Right. I uh, know. Yeah. I know. But it's yeah. so good and, to have because who, who thinks, yeah. you know, there might be a flooding one day that I may have to replace my carpeting and, and such, but you just never know. Yes, exactly. And home insurance doesn't cover water damage. We we found out that yesterday. Mm. So maybe we are going to look into buy a water pump and, and be prepared for the next time. Because so I'm sure it will happen. So yeah. insurance isn't going to do anything for you? No, no, unfortunately not. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day yeah. to, to phone in here. And, and best of luck with getting everything cleaned up and, and uh, reorganized. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for checking in. That is Camila Pakosh from Portage Park. Now, homes were not the only places dealing with the flooding. A number of Chicago businesses were also hit yesterday. So joining us from Hopleaf, uh, which is a bar and restaurant in Andersonville, is Michael Roper. Hi, Michael. Hi. Welcome to the show. What, what was it like at the bar on Sunday? So, um, you know, Sunday lunch is a very good um, opportunity for us to do some business. Uh, our prep crew, maintenance crew, all show up around 8.30 or 9 to get ready for the day. And uh, pretty soon they're all frantically texting, there's water coming up in all the floor drains in the basement. And uh, so, you know, we all, you know, uh, we all showed up right away to see what was happening. And... Um, you know, it, we yeah. we decided that okay, we're not going to have lunch service today uh, because everybody who would be doing food prep and setting up the bar and everything is going to turn into a janitor and uh, start mopping and using the squeegee and and all that. And so we we have had flooding before, so we don't keep anything uh, low on the floors in the basement. So we didn't lose product. Uh, we didn't really have any of that. Mm-hmm. We just had a lot of water to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also you can't open to the public when you have this situation because what if somebody flushes a toilet? Where does it go? You know, you, you can't, you know. Right. You know, so we, 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 we lost, we, we wound up opening at 5 uh, oh, wow. with food service. And so we lost our, you know, we lost our day, you know. Wow. When would you have normally opened? Noon. Noon, yeah. Goodness. Well, we were luckier than Camille because we, Camille had, you know, we had a dozen people here to, you know, jump into action and, you know, clean and bleach and sanitize and mop. Um, So that was great. Um, But there's nothing that makes up for the fact that, you know, once again, mm-hmm. we're we're losing a a shift. Yeah, and this hasn't happened to you before. It has. Oh, yeah. and and every time it rains very hard, we will have some of this situation. You know, we had high hopes for the deep tunnel project. Uh, it doesn't seem to have panned out. <laughs> yeah, like we thought. 
And, um, you know, unfortunately, like, so we have been at business interruption insurance, but it doesn't kick in until you're closed for several days. Um, oh, really? We, right. So it doesn't help us. It has to be very severe mm-hmm. for us to be able to make a claim for business interruption. And then even if we had had things damaged, um, you know, we have a, a fairly big deductible. And so insurance isn't going to help us for an incident like this. So what questions then, Michael, are you still left with after this storm? Well, I mean, you know, we, the question we have is, is, is there ever going to be a solution to this? You know, we, you know it, it rains, and it rains hard sometimes, and it seems to be happening more often. And really, we can't have, like, two or three times a year where we have customers at the door that we have to turn away because we have flooding. And we realized that, you know, our buildings were built in 1896. There's some issues with, you know, where our basement level is in relation to the Clark Street sewer. But are these things that can be ameliorated by the water department? Can they can they solve these things? Because it's just, it's not realistic for us to have to be uncertain every time we see storm clouds. Yeah. Wow, I'm so sorry to hear that, Michael, but I am glad that you are you are back at this point and, and you're able to continue and, and move forward. Uh, Michael Roper is from the Hopleaf Bar and Restaurant in Andersonville. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Let's hear from a couple of listeners who are standing by on the phone lines. First up, we've got Courtney in West Lakeview. Hi, Courtney. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Thanks. How's um, it going, yes, Courtney? It's going good. Thank <laughs> you for taking my call. Of course. Um, yesterday was kind of crazy. I was driving my husband to the airport, and when I came back from O'Hare, I was on the Kennedy, and there was water, it looked like waterfalls, cascading off the overpasses, as well as, you know, how the access roads are, like they go, there's a ramp going up, and mm-hmm. they're, they're higher than the highway, and they were cascading off of that. And so you're pretty much left to the middle lane, the, to the middle and the far lane because of the water that was just wow. coming at such a high level. And, and you had to go, you know, you have to go under the overpass, so the water was coming down. It was. It seems like there must be a solution for that because obviously cars going on the highway could be at a high speed. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was dangerous. So did you have to slow right down? or like? I mean, I would have been scared. I was scared. Yeah, everybody. Everybody was driving pretty slowly, and I have to say, people were driving, you know, with with caution and common sense, thankfully. But it was it was scary. You raise a good point. Like how how do we fix that, right? To to yeah, prevent that right. from happening. Exactly. Thanks for calling, Courtney. Glad you're okay. My pleasure. Thank you. Next up is Elizabeth in Portage Park. Hi, Elizabeth. Welcome to Reset. Hi, Sasha. How are you? I'm doing well, but how are you? How's your basement? <laughs> um, well, it's in recovery mode. Okay. Uh, we actually had just finished renovating it about three weeks ago, um, and so had carpeted and actually thought that we were kind of mitigating uh, the little bit of seepage that we had received before by putting in drain tile and a sump pump. Um, and then put down the carpeting and brought all the kids' toys down and my husband's office and all this. And then um, yesterday, just 
totally took us by surprise, the fact that the water was coming up from the main sewer. And uh, we ended up with about three and a half inches of water um, in the basin. My goodness. Um, so, so what's step one? Like, what, what do you do first to, to clean that out? Well, that, oh my gosh, well, that's a great question. Both my husband and I, I think, were frozen because he got a notice to his phone that the sump pump was kind of, kind of an overdrive, so went running down there, and, um, and it didn't seem so bad at first, and then it just started pouring out, and he yelled to me, and I went down there, and we were both standing there like, what are we supposed what to do? What do we do now? Um, oh, boy. Right, exactly. Um, so a lot of shop vac time uh, later. Yeah. We're, uh, we're hopefully drying out a little bit, and... Um, Get some carpet cleaners in there, see what we can do. But, uh, yeah, the timing is... is uh, fun, fun times. Timing is everything. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. I'm glad you're okay. And, and fingers crossed that everything goes well with the rest of the cleanup. Thanks for calling, Elizabeth. All right, what can we do to mitigate flooding like this in the future? Joining us now is Mary Pat McGuire. She's a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and the director of its Water Lab they're starting a flood prevention program this year called Depave Chicago. Mary Pat, what's the connection between pavement and flooding? Yeah, sure. Well, in the context of what happened yesterday, we saw um, a number of issues come together. It's, there is an issue that we have um, a high degree of imperviousness across the city. About 50 to 80 percent of the city is impervious, which means that water doesn't um, get absorbed by soils. It's basically handled through a combined sewer system in the Chicago context. And the pavement is basically the kind of, um, you can think about that as a kind of surface infrastructure that drains water from the city into an underground um, pipe system mm-hmm. that c- combines sewer and sanitary water together. Um, and so in a small, in a short rain or a, um, a small rain, um, on anything under about two-thirds of an inch, that's just naturally um, and effectively uh, collected through that system. But when you get these large uh, inundations, um, basically that system isn't designed to take that kind of quantity of rainfall in that short duration. And so you get flooding in streets, you get flooding in basements. Mm. And I'm glad one of your callers um, just brought up the deep tunnel system. Yes. That's not designed to, that's not designed to take these kinds of storms. So we know that with climate change and these kinds of events that are happening more frequently, that we have an undercapacity of our infrastructure to handle it. Um, pavement, to answer your question more directly, pavement is um, kind of contributing to the problem. Chicago has way too much pavement. Um, and there have been green infrastructure ideas on the boards for over a decade to take out a lot of that pavement and integrate green infrastructure, which is a soil-based solution to absorb stormwater. And uh, we just haven't uh, built the green infrastructure to replace the gray infrastructure mm. of pavement. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, what is Depave? <laughs> Talk to us about Depave Chicago, your program. How, do, how does it work or how will it work? Yeah. Well, Depave Chicago is a response to the fact that our planning and policy um, mechanisms haven't really kept up with climate change. And there's a number of complexities around that that um, you know, your listeners may be interested in. Obviously, your listeners are really aware that this has been a recurring problem for years. Um, so DPA Chicago is a community-based, um, and we feel very important that this is a community-based tool. It's a program that basically works with communities to find places in neighborhoods at the block level, the street level, 
uh, to take out parking lots, to reduce, um, reduce street pavement, and to build back in green infrastructure where we know that uh, recurring flooding is happening. Is it hard to convince people not to build more parking lots, given how car dependent we are? Um, I would say it's. I would say we have sort of a two two issues there. New parking lots um, have to adhere to better standards today for new developments. So there is some encouragement um, in our new policies and ordinances to develop green infrastructure integrated into those parking surfaces. It's still not adequate. Um, where those oftentimes ask for about a one inch of tension or retention in those systems. Um, but we know from yesterday's storm that we got up to four inches in two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those That's a lot. Yeah. aren't going to be able to handle that. Um, but the problem is that we have a lot of leftover pavement. So, you know, the, slow, the city will slowly redevelop in places and it can, in, it, it, it can integrate green infrastructure into those new developments. But we have a lot of old infrastructure, old parking lots, streets that were not designed for this kind of um, uh, climate change. And also that streets that are not being... Um, retrofitted in the ways that, for example, the Chicago Department of Transportation has sustainable urban infrastructure guidelines mm-hmm. to, um, to redirect, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> to re- basically to transform and reconstruct those streets to be able to handle uh, bigger storms. We, um, we've been studying this, a number of us have been studying this for three years. As a group of uh, researchers here done at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, um, across geology and engineering and landscape architecture, we studied specifically the kinds of storms that we got yesterday, uh, where we looked at um, actually up to five inches of rain occurring in a two-hour um, two, two time frame, and what would it take in terms of retrofitting neighborhoods to be able to um, capture and slow that water in place. Yeah. Um, the thing that we're discovering um, by, you know, kind of keeping, uh, <laughs> keeping in touch with everybody uh, through social media yesterday is um, is also the problem that this was kind of an intentional, intentionally flooded in certain areas. So one of the strategies that this uh, waste, the stormwater collection system does, that's operated by MWRD, is um, is to place restrictors or to do like um, to basically do what's called an internal control valve system that basically keeps water from going into that stormwater collection system and uses the streets to temporarily hold that water. But the intention of that was just that you might see occasional putting, puddling around storm inlets at intersections. That's probably familiar to people all over the city. Um, but this was extreme. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you get four inches coming down uh, in a morning, um, that, that's all going to run off into uh, our streets, our collection, you know, collection system for all of our blocks. And so it's all going to run to that. So the streets become kind of like rivers. Real quick, Mary Pettis, climate change, you know, is, is going to make flooding more common here. What policies do you hope that local governments put in place? Well, it's going to take kind of a cross-agency effort. And these conversations have already been going on. It's a matter of implementation. Um, green infrastructure guidelines and ordinances need to take root. Uh, they need to actually um, result in plans and they need to result in implementation. Um, and this, we really need to be looking at this across the city. What happened in the north side um, is frequent, frequent and very well known to Southsiders. So throughout the Calumet area, through neighborhoods such as Chatham, they've mm-hmm. been living with this for years and not getting the kinds of attention that they need to reconstruct that, um, that street level infrastructure. Um, so this takes, you know, the Chicago Department of Transportation is really well aware of this, um, MWRD. Um, even the Chicago Park District would be an interesting other um, agency to involve to think about how some of these um, green infrastructures become public parks or other kinds of amenities to neighborhoods. 
That's Mary Pat McGuire. She's a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and director of its Water Lab. Thank you so much for breaking that down. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Dan Tucker, Andrew Merriweather, Claire Hyman, and Char Dastin. It was mixed by Ethan Schwab. For more conversations on the news, politics, the economy, arts, and culture, subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and rating. It really helps other listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.